Jesus Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. It is good to be up here this morning as we continue our series in the book of Hebrews. Jesus, the perfect priest, the superior sacrifice. Last week, Pastor Matt preached the sermon, Moving On to Maturity. Once we know the gospel, we can move on to becoming mature Christians by a lifetime of repentance. Those who know the gospel and respond accordingly are also saved forever. Amen? Amen. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about that and why we know that we can trust in God fully for our salvation. But before we do that, let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we love you and we praise you because you are the giver of all good things. Lord, thank you that we can know you and we can trust in you, not just as some far-off deity in some space-time continuum, but Lord, as a personal God who loves us. So we just want to hear the truth of your word this morning. When we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Scam alert. That's enough to kind of send people's blood boiling a little bit. There are so many different ways that people are scammed these days. In fact, here's a a list of 10 ways people have been scammed over the last year in in no specific order. One way people are are being scammed is the social security number phishing. You'll get a, a phone call and it'll be someone saying, your social security has been compromised. And if you go to Walgreens and get us gift cards, we'll fix it for you. Seems kind of, you know, fishy, obviously, but many, many people get worried about it and they have fallen victim to this. The free money scam. If you, uh, some uh, rich emir from uh, overseas, if you just send me 10 grand, I will release 30 million and then I can give you some of that if you, you know, just give me the 10 grand. Unfortunately, some people fall victim to that. There's the Amazon and package deliveries phishing. Now, this one I didn't really know about. I kind of had to look up. What it is is uh, Amazon and and different companies that have, they write reviews, they will actually buy something and send you something very cheap in the mail. You don't know who who it came from. It might be like, I don't know, the lid to a Tupperware, but then they'll be able to write reviews on Google using your name. And your, and your tracking number. So what it does is it boosts uh, the, the positive Google on something that's probably junk. So that's another way they scam people. You got computer tech support. They'll get a hold of you and it'll be an email saying that something is wrong with your computer. It's, it's really bad. But if you give us full control remotely over your computer, we'll fix it for you. To then which they download all your information and have all your banking stuff and stuff like that. There's the phony relationship scams where you've somehow you have a long lost nephew and uh, they need money because they're in dire straits and they need your help, so send them money. There's debt collection. Someone say, hey, uh, we're from Visa and they, they sound legit and they're like, you owe this much on your card, but if you send us pennies on the dollar, we'll wipe out that debt for you. Obviously, you send them money, you still have the debt of the Visa card. There's the online classified listings, selling, pretending to be someone they're not or trying to sell you something they don't have. People get fooled by that one all the time. 
This one was weird is the grandchild imposter. I guess maybe people don't know if they have a grandchild. But I got to say, as Mimi and Gramps, as a Mimi and Gramps, we don't say no to our grandchildren. So I kind of get this one. Someone might be able to scam me. The last one, bank financial institution phishing. Someone calling has a lot of your information, seems like they're from your bank and they're just trying to verify information to which they are just trying to get your bank account information. They drain your account before you even know what happens. In fact, if you just look at phone scams alone, Americans lost almost $30 billion last year. $30 billion, poof, just gone. One study says nearly one in three Americans have fallen victim to, this phone, uh, to phone scams in the past year. One in three. How about getting a phone call from somebody uh, being in a, a warranty company alerting you to your expired vehicle warranty? <laughs> Unfortunately, there's some people that fall victim to that. Or what's even worse, the IRS scam where someone calls you and say, you owe this much in taxes, and if you don't pay us some of it right now, you can go to jail. How scary is that? You thinking that this is someone who's supposed to be your authority, someone that you're supposed to be able to trust. Well, let's get real. No one trusts the IRS. But, <laughs> but it's a government agency that you're supposed to be able to trust, and yet they're threatening jail time if you don't pay them right away. Well, speaking about authority, many feel like they can't even trust the actual authorities we have, which is our government. It's, it's hard to trust anybody. You can't even hardly trust the news these days. So it's no wonder many feel like they can't put their faith totally in something. They can't trust anything, even when speaking about our ultimate authority, God. And that's exactly why we titled today's sermon, in God we trust. In God we trust. There is literally nothing else that we can put our full faith and trust in other than God. We put so much trust in, in ourselves as humans every day. Think about it. We, we trust our abilities. We, we, we trust uh, ourselves to sniff out scams and read people. But we still get fooled, don't we? We trust our emotions to those that even seem close to us, and sometimes we get burned. It's so hard. If we can't even trust ourselves, then who can we trust? Let me ask you this morning, church, how do we know we can trust God when he promises us something? Not, you know, we have this grand idea of who God is, and we hope we can trust God, how do we know we can trust him beyond the shadow of a doubt? I think it's a fair question. Is it just blind faith, or are there really good reasons why we can trust him? That's exactly what the writer of Hebrews touches on today, and as we get into our verses, we'll be in chapter 6, verses 9 through 20. Follow along with me on the screen or read in your Bibles as I read, starting in verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work 
and the love that you've shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, that a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. If we took these 12 verses and we boiled them down into one main idea, we would get this. We know we can trust in the promises of God because of who Jesus is. We know that we can trust in the promises of God because who Jesus is. Let's break down these verses to see why this is true. So on our first block of verses, he's kind of finishing an idea from, um, from last week. And he's talking about those that heard the gospel, they know the gospel, but have not properly responded. You see, what he gets into is that our actions are fueled by the faithfulness and promises of God. Going back to verse 9. Though we speak in this way, meaning those people have heard the gospel and have not properly responded, he said, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you, st as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those through faith and patience inherit the promises. So in verse 9, he's saying, as for you guys, we're not, we don't see you as people that have heard the gospel, understood the gospel, but never responded. Because he says in verse 10, for God sees how you've been working hard in response to the gospel. This is very important. You see, they're being encouraged to keep that same fire um, about the gospel from when they were first saved. Keep the faith in him. Keep his work. Keep moving on in his work. Keep moving on to maturity. Remember, they're not working to earn God's love. Their works were evidence that they were saved and believed the gospel. They are being encouraged not to become complacent when it comes to the gospel. It is the evidence that they were saved. They trusted the truth of God for the gospel, and their maturing faith shows that they trusted the promises of the gospel 
and one day will inherit all the promises of God. And this brings us to our first point. Our obedience to God is the evidence that we trust in God's promises. It's our obedience to God. It's our willingness to be obedient to God that is the evidence that we have fully trusted the gospel and we trust God's promises. The writer of Hebrews was explaining that he believed the evidence of their faith was that they were doing the work of God. So remember, we can't do any religious things to earn God's love. We can't do any works to earn salvation. It's the same from the beginning as the whole sanctification process happens until we meet Jesus in heaven one day. It is all done. It's God's work, God's plan, and done all by his power and his authority. God had a plan from the beginning to redeem his creation, and we obtain the promises by believing in him. When God says something or promises something, we could have perfect faith that it is true. Why? Why is that true? How do we know this is true? We'll pick him back up in verse 13. God's promises are sure because they are based on his power and his authority. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, this is his response, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation." So basically, if you were in a court of law and you were to give your testimony, you would swear on the Bible and the law of the land. Those are two things that are greater than us, the individual. Supposedly, these days, we believe the Bible is more important than the individual, God's word. But when we do that, we're swearing that, you know, before God, we're going to tell the truth in accordance to the laws of the land. See, but God's different uh, promises are a little bit different. It's kind of a one-sided deal. He promises to do something, then he does the work, and all we do is believe him. We don't negotiate with God. We agree with him, and we accept his terms or no deal. We have zero authority and zero power in the deal. One commentator put it this way. He said, when God shakes on a deal, he has no choice but to shake his own hand. He can only swear by his name. He's the greatest and most powerful being, far greater than anything that's ever been created, for he is eternal. He alone has the ultimate authority and the power to really do whatever he wants. And as we see there in verse 15, Abraham received that promise because he believed those things about God and he patiently waited in faith and was rewarded for his faith. It brings us to our second point this morning. God's promises are sure because they are based on his authority and his power. Are you starting to see a theme here this morning, church? 
that these things are based on God and his authority, not on us. That's how we could have faith in them. It's strange that we put so much faith in humans and human authority. I mean, even people when trying to help us will let us down sometimes. I mean, if we really face the facts, we ourselves think we're so much smarter than we are. We think we, we, we know more than we do, but we can't be fooled. We can't, like those tens of millions of people that have been scammed each year, like we were just talking about, or the tens of billions of dollars that have been lost. We humans really can't be trusted that much, can we? Not 100% fully. Whether we're the scammers or whether we're the ones being scammed, it is really hard to trust each other. It is in God alone that we can ultimately trust. You know, what's neat is I believe that our founding fathers knew this as they created the government of, of this country, of this nation. Some even say that you could tie the three branches of government into the Trinity so that there's checks and balances. And it's obvious that we were based at least off of Judeo-Christian values. So our, our, our founding fathers kind of knew this, that we can't trust ourselves. We have to trust something greater than ourselves. But don't be fooled. Governments can become corrupted. Even the, 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 our founding fathers who tried to do everything right were just fallible men, unlike our God. It reminds us of our main idea this morning. We know we can trust in the promises of God because of who Jesus is. So God's our ultimate authority. We get that this morning, right? But what else, how else can we trust him? What else shows us that we can trust in this God just because he's our ultimate authority and we just better do what he says? Starting in verse 17, as we finish out our verses, God promises are forever because he is unchanging. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for our refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, as Mike was talking about in worship, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I love that when, when we have a, a, a song in worship that actually preaches some of my sermon for me. Me and Mike and I didn't get together and discuss that. That's just how it happened because that's how God does. So we have two unchangeable things here. God is the ultimate authority. He swears by his name, his authority. He is the ultimate authority in knowledge, power, and he's able to carry out whatever he deems right. But 
as it says in verse 18, God cannot lie. Wait a minute, are you saying God can't do something? I thought he was the ultimate authority and power and knowledge and strength. Shouldn't he be able to just do whatever he wants? Which is funny because some people actually have that as an objection to God. When I say it's, I think it's funny because God doesn't need to lie. If he's fully in control and has all this power, why would he need to manipulate anybody? He would just say it and it would be so. But it's more than that. He is the truth. God doesn't speak the truth. He is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. Lying is evil. God is holy. Holy literally means without blemish. In God, there is zero. There cannot be one inkling of evil. Therefore, God cannot lie. This should be an anchor to our souls, church. This should be a reason to go, here's an all-powerful God that could do whatever he wants, yet he chose to save us and he promises us this thing if we put our faith and trust in him. This is an all-powerful God that could do whatever he wants, but he has made a deal with us that if we put our faith and our trust in him, that we can be forgiven and spend eternity with him. And he cannot lie. This is our confidence. Our salvation is not dependent on our authority. It's not dependent on our power. And it's not even dependent on our own faithfulness, but on God's. God has the power and authority to do whatever he wants. But he made a way for man to be saved. And being our high priest, which is who Jesus is, and just like Mike described today, Jesus is our high priest. He is the only one that could go into the holiest of holies and make the ultimate sacrifice for us. That is the Jesus that we have. He is unchanging and he cannot lie. This is our glorious hope in that no matter what happens to us on this earth, he is our God and he is our savior forever. Our glorious hope is that God has saved us and we can't lose that salvation because it's not dependent on us. All we do is accept this free gift by repenting and believing. And it brings us to our third and final point. Jesus promises he has secured our salvation forever and he cannot lie. How awesome is that? He promises that our salvation is secured forever and he cannot lie to us. We should be in absolute awe when we think about who God is and what he's done for us. He holds all the cards, guys, but yet he's allowed us who have rebelled against him to experience his love and his mercy and his grace. As we begin to wrap up this morning, and I called Joe up, I want us to think about this. Why can we trust God like, we, like nothing or no one else on this planet? Why? Have good reasons. Don't just blindly believe. You should have good reasons why you know you could fully trust God. 
as we remember our first point. Our obedience to God is the evidence that we trust in his promises. This is really important, church, and this is why I believe the writer kind of, you know, repeated this as he began this new section. The writer of Hebrews wanted to encourage the readers that they showed fruit of salvation. Their obedience to God, his word, and the way that they were serving those around him were the evidence that they responded properly to the gospel. Church, let me ask you this this morning. As individuals, can you point to something in your own life as a sign that at one point you too have properly responded to the gospel? Think about that. Are you obedient to God's word? If so, you will be diligent in the pursuit of his truth and you'll be working in some capacity to spread the gospel in some capacity. That could just be serving in your local church or starting a ministry somewhere outside the church. In some way, you don't have to be an evangelist, you don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to be a preacher, but you have some role in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because let me tell you something, you cannot come into contact with God and it changes nothing about your life or who you are. That is a lie. It's impossible. It would be like if I said I was changing my tire on the side of I-75. Sorry I'm late, guys, but I got hit by a semi. You'd be like, well, obviously you didn't get hit by a semi. It's no different than when someone says, I believe in Jesus as my Savior and my Lord, and yet it has changed nothing about their lives or how they they act or how they, they treat others. If you're here this morning and you're not fully convinced, and you're not showing signs that you have truly trusted the gospel, remember point number two. God's promises are sure because they are based on his authority and his power. We know we can fully trust God because it is not based on our own efforts and our own power. If it was, I would have messed it up a long time ago. Let us take solace in the fact that we can trust God no matter what happens in our lives. And if you need another reason, let's look at point number three. Jesus promises he has secured our salvation forever and he cannot lie. When Jesus promises something, we know it is the truth, not only because he is the truth, but Jesus is immutable. Immutable is just a fancy term for meaning when God makes up his mind, not even he can change it. When he promises something, when he tells us something, it will never change if it's a promise of God. Church, if you have not already taken that dive, go all in on Jesus. Be obedient to him and his promises and they will never fail. And that reminds us of our main idea this morning. We know we can trust in the promises of God because of who Jesus is. It has nothing to do with who we are and everything to do with who Jesus is. Let's pray. Praise you, Father, that our salvation is based fully upon your son and who he is and what he's done for us. 
Praise you that we can fully trust in you and that you will never let us down. That is truly the good news. Lord, help those that might be here this morning and have never fully trusted in you or your word to do so today. Take that dive. And remind those who have surrendered to you, be encouraged because you never need to grow weary awaiting God because you know that the promise is true. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.